Hello and welcome to the Get Social Connected Leader podcast, where I, Michelle Carville, interview business leaders around the practicalities of how, in this hyper-connected digital age, they are embracing digital technologies to tune in and connect and communicate. You can find all episodes of the podcast together with show notes via our website, carvelcreative.co.uk forward slash podcasts. On this episode of the Get Social Connected Leader podcast, I'm delighted to interview Paul Frampton. Paul is the EMEA CEO for travel tech startup High Incorporated and also leads B2C strategy globally, including for Hong Kong, Singapore and Japan. Previously, Paul was CEO of Havis Media Group, where he oversaw a £100 million business with 900 staff and 10 operating companies. He's an active supporter of the startup community, an NED and mentor to some of the leading lights of the entrepreneurial space. And over the years, he's received a number of accolades. Recently voted Disruptive Tech Leader of the Year by MediaTel and Madfest, named one of Europe's top 100 B2B marketing leaders by Hot Topics, Listed in the Evening Standards Progress 1000 Brand Builders, voted the fifth most influential person in UK digital in the Drums Digerati League, and gifted the Lifetime Achievement Award by Twitter. Paul is also a passionate ambassador for diversity and inclusion, and was one of just 30 men recognised in Management Today's Male Agents of Change Awards in 2018. And last but not least, he's an active voice for youth as chair of Big Youth Group, an organisation designed to improve the odds for young people globally. Hello, Michelle. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? Can you hear me? I can indeed. Can you hear me? I can hear you very nicely and very clearly. Good. Wonderful. The tech is working. Good start. Good start. Always a good start. So thank you, firstly, for coming on the podcast. Brilliant to, brilliant to have you here. No problem at all. Good. So, so the whole, so um, I, I'm not recording. Well, I am recording at the moment, Bob. So good morning, Paul, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Good morning, Michelle. Delighted to be here. So, um, you know, the spirit of this podcast is all about talking to leaders that are active on uh, social media. And that's very much where I came across you, actually. We were, we were often tagged in a number of conversations around hashtag social CEO. And yes. of course, yeah. And then I started watching what you were doing. And, and you've, you have been particularly active in the social space, haven't you? Do you want, do you want to just talk to me a little bit about why you started using social media and how you got into it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I my first love affair with social media was Twitter uh, because I, I'm a deeply curious person and I found that I could access knowledge and people uh, and, and people's knowledge that I wouldn't normally come across. So people in different geographies around the world who had an interesting perspective. So I started to play around with Twitter and follow different people and then I started to use it as a way to express, I guess, kind of the way that I thought about the world um, and of this working out loud uh, concept. And uh, I started to build up quite a following and then I realised that not only was it a channel where I almost could learn and uh, kind of almost saw it as an education platform, it, it became a channel where I realised that I could connect with my own talent that worked for me um, yes. in, in, a, in a way where they could choose how they wanted to communicate rather than having to be formalised in a work environment. Uh, I could also connect to talent that might want to work for the organisation. Uh, and, and equally, 
connect with customers and other influencers uh, that actually uh, could see you talk out loud about your opinion. And I found that when I went into the real world and had conversations with people, quite a lot of people talked about what I was doing in the social space. So I, I thought this is quite an interesting, there's quite an interesting thing here. It's, it is digital, but yet it kind of reverberates into the, into the real world and people seem to think it's a positive thing. So maybe I should carry on with it. Um, and, and then I moved on to, into LinkedIn and try to crack that. And then latterly I've moved into Instagram to try and work that out. So I, I kind of did platform by platform because I realized they're all very different. Twitter's probably still my, my comfort zone, I would say. Yeah, and I have to say I'm a fellow Twitter lover. It was where I started and, and for all the same reasons. And I think what's really interesting, Paul, that, you know, that comes out of both your journey, and I've heard this uh, quite a lot on the podcast from others I've interviewed, is that it's that it's that real sense of networking, isn't it? You know, it's done digitally, but yes. you're connecting with people in just the same way you would want to connect with people in an offline networking scenario, building out your networks out of interest, um, shared interest, differences of opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you, and you kind of build up these, it's quite a Twitter term, I think, but these tribes of different yeah. people that you share opinion with, who, you've, who sometimes you've never met, although I have found, I'm sure you have too, that a lot of people I interact with on Twitter, I later on end up meeting in the flesh and then find that actually we're quite similar type of people. Um, and have similar opinions um, about the world. But you're right. I mean, I think everyone looks at LinkedIn as the obvious professional network. But before LinkedIn developed its kind of publishing status feed piece, it was it was literally just a way to, to try and connect to someone. Whereas Twitter, I guess you put out there your views on the world. Um, you shared in, in brevity what you were thinking at that point in time. And so it had this, it had this quite interesting kind of hook that would pull you into someone and then you would start to engage with them and as you started to engage you realized that actually there was something much deeper there uh, and then you started to connect to another three or four people that were very similar and before you know it um, you had another another kind of tranche of uh, folk that were kind of thought in a similar way to you and uh, could could bring different ways of thinking about the world and different perspectives to you and I, th I think I think Twitter, because it's it's it feels to me like the most organic, most democratic platform, and sometimes it obviously gets challenged by the press for that. But yes. it's not it's not straitjacketed or forced, and you don't have to people don't have to accept you. Whereas obviously LinkedIn is a slightly different thing, where it's kind of an open platform, but it's just closed enough so that if if somebody doesn't want you to connect with them, then they can stop you. Whereas Twitter has this. I think Twitter was created as a true social network, which yeah. was open, democratic, kind of anyone can connect to anyone and anyone can create a narrative or a movement from it. And I, and I think I've probably seen the most impactful movements, whether they be professional or social or economic movements have been created on Twitter and gone quite wild on Twitter, whereas that doesn't tend to happen quite so much with the other networks. No, I, I, yeah, I agree. And and it's interesting. So, so, so you're... You're on, so you started off using Twitter. You've you, you, obviously, I mean, everybody tends to be on LinkedIn in one way or another. You've moved over to Instagram. Tell me a little bit about that. How? Mm. What are you doing on that platform? Yeah, so I've always found, I, I've always found, I mean, I've I, I spent a long time in the marketing services industry. So I used to sit on the Facebook council. So uh, I, I saw 
I saw the Instagram acquisition while I was sitting on that council and I saw it slowly be pushed into the, into the center by Facebook, uh, which I think was partly to make sure that they retained that young audience. But obviously it was also around talking through image and talking through pictures. I mean, that's now evolved again into stories and uh, kind of more Snapchat type way of communicating. But I, to begin with, I had it as a personal platform um, and I wanted to keep it quite personal. It was just because I, I was thinking, well, it's pictures of me and my friends and my family and I don't necessarily want loads of other people to see that. So I had a private profile. And then, and then I saw other people using Instagram quite cleverly uh, as a way to express and share more about their personal life, but do it in a, I guess, slightly more professional way, professional. So, so I actually ended up, um, and, th- and this was on the back of starting a vlog. So I started a vlog on YouTube uh, in between two jobs I did uh, about 18, 24 months ago. I, I was always fascinated about vlogging. So I started up a vlog, uh, which was called Frampton Unplugged because I just left the job. <laughs> nice. um, so it was quite, an, quite amusing because everyone often confuses my name with Peter Frampton. And he did have a, he did have a acoustic show, which was called Frampton Unplugged. Um, okay. So it was, a bit of a, it was a bit of a play on words. But I... I then created a Frampton Unplugged Instagram and I now use that as my, I guess, my open Instagram channel um, where I kind of do a similar thing, but I guess talk through images and pictures and sometimes quotes um, on, on Instagram. And it's, it's a very different audience. I find, I find Instagram sometimes a bit too, too trolley and a bit too, mm. I don't know, a bit too, like everyone just wants to kind of engage with you in a quiet, superficial Let's yes. follow my friends. Oh, you're doing amazing stuff. Like in, in a little bit sycophantic way. Yes. So I, I still struggle a little bit with it, but I have worked out that if you use it in a certain way, uh, it does work, particularly for younger audiences who don't necessarily want spend that much time on Twitter. Or maybe they, if they are on Twitter, they don't really comment or engage on Twitter. They just read. Uh, I found with younger members of my teams that Instagram is actually the thing that they notice more and they comment on things like, oh, I saw it you're interested in this and you do this at the weekend. And I feel like actually I have more of an understanding of who you are as a person than maybe I get from Twitter, which is quite curated and quite almost kind of intellectual. If you like. I was going to say, it's a bit more intellectual, isn't it? The conversations that happen on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. So tell me a little bit then about, um, you mentioned that you have this connection with, you know, it, and, and I hear this again, it's a, it's a theme that's come through from the podcast around being visible to your team and having conversations with your team in a way that you may not ordinarily, either through geography or location, um, yeah. you know, have, have that opportunity to, to connect with them. So, so your clearly out there being uh, you know a leading leading by example a very a very clear social ceo what about driving social and how you embrace it within the organization yeah so so maybe i'll give i'll give two examples one from when i was in havas which is a big advertising group um and I, I, I learned this from doing it in my own kind of social channels but then i started to realize that there, were, there was an opportunity almost to get advocacy from people that work for me. And I think it's got a, it's got a, it's probably got a term in the, in, in the kind of social strategy space, like kind of social advocates or social employees or something like that. But I, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't look at it like that at that point in time. Um, I just thought, wouldn't it be great if I could try and harness other people to get involved in social and then we could use 
social as a way to shout louder about what we're doing in Havas. So Havas is out of the five advertising groups is the smallest uh, and therefore kind of by default would would shout uh, more quietly than some of the others. And mm. I saw this channel where there weren't many of our competitors in it. So I started to encourage other people to share stories, thoughts, uh, moments that they, that they felt expressed two values that were quite important in Havas, collaboration and generosity. Uh, and I created this hashtag called Have Us Together, very simply Have Us, so it was obvious it was from us, and Together was an expression of collaboration and generosity. Nice. Uh, and put it out there at a couple of events where we got all, all of our people together twice a year um, and encouraged people to start to use it from my kind of marketing and social team. And then it didn't take very long for it to pick up and people would just use it as their own, almost their own palette of paints and they would tag it onto something that maybe it was just them having lunch together mm-hmm. uh, one day or sometimes it was they were they were doing a run for charity yep. uh, another time it might be they'd just done a pitch together and before you knew it it started to take off around the world so it started in London and then different people started to use it in Latin America in the States in Spain in France so uh, I, I, I learned through that that actually you, you need a, a little bit of structure around it but if if you almost give uh give permission and give kind of a very simple kind of way of uh, your people kind of engaging on social then th- then they will pick it up you can't force it because some people never wanted to get involved in it but the, these all staff days we used to host them in the uh, Odeon cinema in Leicester square so we had like 800 900 odd people together in the cinema uh, and used the big screen for effect but the other thing was I always made sure we had a social newsroom there. So two or three people who were there to amplify what was going on. And people started to share through the tag. Uh, and, and almost every time we did it, uh, we trended in London. You trended, yeah. And it cost me nothing, right? I mean, all I, all I needed to do was to get a couple of my people that were good at social to just take what people were talking about, create some micro content, amplify it a little bit. And it, and it created campaigns around what I wanted people in the market to see. Have mm. And it's interesting because that, like you say, it's that it's that organic optimization, isn't it? People just take it with with very mild structure. It's not oh, here's yeah. your twenty eight page social media rule book. You know, it's it's yeah. No, when I've seen that work, it when I've seen people try to do that, that's when you. I think that's when you kill. Yeah, you kill it because the the great thing about social is it's not like having to go up and stand on stage and talk in front of people or no. put your hand up even in a room. It anybody can jump onto their phone and express what's in their head, no matter what anxiety they have or uh, kind of around whether they're going to say something sensible or whether they're going to make themselves look stupid. It's truly open to everyone. And I think I definitely saw some people flourish by trying that and then getting, putting their foot forward a little bit more uh, when they were encouraged to go, well, why don't you write something? Why don't you write a regular blog and then we'll help you kind of turn it into something better. And then why don't you, why don't you do a podcast with a couple of your, couple of your colleagues and then we'll help you turn it into something interesting. So I I tried to take it from engage, work out who are the, who are the ones in the pyramid that really were most engaged with it and then try to give them some support to turn into thought leaders themselves because at the end of the day a CEO can do it but a CEO should only do it to show others how to do it because otherwise it's constantly from top down and I think that only gets you so far it gets you as far as people going oh this organization is slightly more authentic and real but if it doesn't go deeper than that if it only goes to two or three of your leadership team and then it never touches the 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 kind of day-to-day floor I think I, I think you're really doing social in the way it should be done 
Fantastic. And I, and, I, and I love that. And, you know, I gave a talk recently, Paul, around that many leaders are often very disconnected from the very people that they lead. And, and, and you know, some, some people came back on LinkedIn and said, oh, well, you know, it can't just all be top down from the leader. Um, you know, people, some people are really fed up of constantly hearing from their boss. And it was kind of like, that's, that's not really the flavor. It's a case of, it's like that permission to play almost with these technologies, you know, to encourage people to get involved. I aligned it to all the values of, of leadership around, you know, we've all heard about the importance of walking the floor, really getting down with your people and knowing them and understanding them and listening. Um, but doing that at scale through... Yes, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and to be honest, that so the second example I was going to is, is more that is within High Inc, where I work now. I have teams across Europe in 20 different countries. And so physically, I can't, I, I can't see or speak to them as regularly. And I mean, we use, we use things like Zoom video calls uh, on Monday mornings and on Fridays to get people together. But more importantly, actually, that, that always on kind of what I call working out loud through yes. social channels. Um, it kind of allows people across Europe, sometimes in very small teams, because it's a, it's a kind of early stage business. Yeah. I might only have two people in, in a market, but it feels like they, they then feel like they belong to something. So yes. it's actually even more important when you're an early stage business and you don't have lots of people around you or people are remote working, which I think is becoming increasingly popular. Yep. It becomes more, ever more important that the, there is a social fabric of kind of almost like symbols uh, of what it means to be part of the business uh, and kind of signals that make you feel like you're part of something, even exactly. if you're working in, in, a, in, a, in a co-working space in 200 miles or 3,000 kilometers away from where most of the team are, uh, then, then actually the concept of bringing people together and connecting them through technology, uh, frankly, whether it's a video call or whether it's, social media or whether it's messaging platforms becomes phenomenally important. And I think in the future of work, where not everyone will be sitting right next to you and you can go, right, everyone downstairs and stand around the stairwells and I'm going to talk to you, which is the, which is the even though that's still fairly modern, yes. thing, it's yeah. the classic all hands is a all hands with everybody coming, everyone coming to me because I'm the leader. You leave your desk, you come to me. Whereas actually there has to be a place for, well, I'm going to, I'm going to create something and then you guys can choose when you want to tune in. Right. So it's either a vlog or, or kind yes. of a call where people can log into it. And there's something quite, quite democratic about zoom where actually people can sit there and listen or they can jump in. And to begin with, when I did some of the, the, the video call meetings in, in, in our business, uh, it was quite quiet and it, it feels like, Oh, there's nobody out there. And the people <laughs> in the room in London, the people in the room in London were a lot more present. Um, and then, and then I actually, the first one I did from Milan where we have quite a lot of people and I, I hosted it from there and because the London team were quite used to it, we then had quite an interesting dynamic of when people felt confident in Milan because they were brought into the conversation, the folks in London were com communicating, but it was all done through, it was all done through video and kind of just people up on screens as opposed to people all being together. And then people from Africa jumped in and then people from, uh, from Eastern Europe jumped in and, but, it, there is something quite interesting about this permission and yes. safe place that people kind of need to be allowed to to kind of just jump in and feel like they, they haven't got to perform. Exactly. Um, it, it's a very human thing, isn't it, really? It's, it's, it's communication yeah. at its very... Absolutely. At its 
And it, as simplest level it is, you're right. It is, it, it's very simplest. And, and it's, it's that, it's, you know, democratic, yes, but also empowering as well, you know, isn't it, for those individuals to, to have that voice and, and participate Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they are, there are, there are some very simple, um, simple things that people want from business. And we've, we, we've, and I'm sure you've touched on this subject with other, with other folks, but we, we, we seem to have in the last few decades kind of created this real separation between uh, kind of real life, what kind of people's lives, personal lives and work. Yes. Um, and with the amount people are expected to work, there is, it's much more of a, much more of a blend, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think these days, and actually, when people come to work, they want very similar things that they want from their personal life. They want to feel like they belong. Yes, uh, they want to feel like they have some flexibility around doing things the way that they do them, and they want to feel, as you say, they want to feel like they're doing some great work that they're enabled to be creative or to learn things that they wouldn't have otherwise learned. So, and all of those things are deeply human. And I saw, I think it was ADP, which is a big talent uh, house out in the states, did a, a report. Uh, last week on engagement levels um, and, and they showed that only 13% people around the world are truly, truly completely engaged at work. Um, it's frightening, that, isn't it? I mean, that is frightening. It's fr- really scary, isn't it, when you think about it? And a lot of people dismiss it and go, yeah, but, but how many people are engaged? And then, they, and then they take it away from very engaged to engaged and then it goes, the, the number increases and they go, well, that's all right. It's like a third of people, not that many people are really going to love work anywhere. And it's like, well, why can't they? Why not? Yeah. Why can't they enjoy and love what they do? Because surely they're going to be better versions of themselves and be better versions of what you want them to be if they love what they do rather than just trekking to work from their commute and do what you want them to do. And there's a huge, you know, there's a huge commercial aspect to that as well. I, I saw a report out of Ernst & Young and, and it was a report they'd done on employee engagement and, and, and digital transformation and, and digital transformation, which is kind of clearly critical in this digital age for organisations yeah. um, aligned with their strategy. Uh, it, it was looking at why digital transformation fails and 80% of this, this study that they did, 80% of digital transformation was failing due to employee, lack of employee engagement. Yeah. It just yeah. wasn't being engaged. And yeah. they put a cost to that of $10,000 in profit per employee per wow. year. Wow. So, you know, you scale that and you've got 100 employees, 100,000 employees. You know, you, you can see that it's, it's a significant, it's a significant cost. Yeah, it is. And it's really interesting, that point, because I don't think businesses think enough about the anxieties uh, or the readiness that is required when you suddenly throw a lot of new technology or tools or yeah. structures. I know what it's like. I mean, I sit around a board table and we discuss things and you go, oh, okay, yeah, this is a really, let's restructure the business this way. Um, and And I've always felt that, and this isn't something that I came up with, but I've always felt that you, you need to have two uh, empty chairs in the room. One is Bessos's thing around the voice of the customer and say, well, what would the customer say at this point? But the other uh, that I always make the team think about is, well, imagine if we had one of our kind of junior guys from the yeah. team here, what, what would they be saying right now? How do you think they would react to what we're saying, which is we're going to cut a load of staff from this part of the business and we're going to rename this because that's going to help us drive more profit. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but let's just think about the yes. different stakeholders and you've got to put our, our own talent and our customers as key stakeholders in that conversation. I think the problem is a lot of businesses struggle with that because when, when you do bring the voice of the customer or the voice of 
your staff into the room, sometimes it, it creates difficult conversations that people yeah. don't have. Like, oh, so you're saying don't do it. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not saying don't. I'm just making sure you have all of the, all of the information yeah. in order to make the right decision. It doesn't mean that you won't have to make the same commercial yeah. decision at the end of the day, but people struggle. I think people struggle with this. Like be deeply commercial or be human. It's like, well, yes. why, why, can't you be a bit, why can't you be a bit both? Or why can't exactly. you be tough and empathetic? It's, exactly. It's not, all, it's not either or. Yeah, I think in business we're taught to be like conservative or labor or you're taught to be kind of black or white. And people just tend to, if one person argues one thing, then somebody seems to argue the other yes. thing. The concept yeah. of balance. It is. And it's balanced. And of course, when you know that there are different, it's almost like, you know, from with my marketing hat on, it's kind of like you've got different audiences and the way you communicate to different audiences, you need a different strategy. You can be still driving the same message, but you might have to communicate it differently to the team to the customer, to this, to, to the investors. You know, it's about, it's about mastering and understanding your audience, isn't it? And, and how how you can communicate, you know, to each one of those audiences. So, so that's interesting. So you've talked quite a bit about um, the future of work, the working out loud, the changing landscape, which we are within. I mean, it is, there is this movement, you know, so many more people work from home and uh, mm. social technologies definitely enable a kind of, you know, I refer to them like a glue that can kind of, keep people together even when they are you know far apart um what's been you know what would you say to another leader who's struggling with social technologies and getting started with with social and it is still sitting back and thinking well I just don't want to be part of it I can kind of understand that some people don't want to be external facing because they, they're just really uncomfortable with that. They can still be an absolutely brilliant leader. You do not need to be the PR man, you know, and if it, if it doesn't feel, or woman, and if it doesn't feel comfortable, um, then, then fine. But what about communicating internally and externally? And, you know, what's your view on all of that, Paul? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting, I mean, I, as, as I was listening to you then, I, I, I have to say my instinct um, is to say that actually if you're a leader then you have to be capable of communicating externally actually. Yeah. Uh, you have to be in today's world uh, a strong storyteller uh, and you have to be able to communicate whether you're, whether you're a FTSE 100 CEO and thrown into a press conference or yeah. responding to some challenge or issue that has come through customers on social media. You have to be able to... to to, to, to manage that. You don't necessarily need to be a, it doesn't need to necessarily come naturally. And I know there'll be some people listening and go, well, I came through the finance track or I came through a kind of operational track and I, and I was never the person hanging outside of the building doing the... Exactly. Doing the yeah. So I, I do understand that, but I, I think any leader has to learn and adapt uh, to, to the changing dynamics around them. And I think you, you constantly need to be listening to what your customers are saying, yep. what's changing in the marketplace, how people are buying or transacting. And I think a lot of leaders would, would go, yeah, yeah, you know, I agree with that. But, and social media is just one of those things to my mind. It's the way that people expect uh, to be uh, communicated to, the way they expect to be able to connect with a business to solve a problem. Uh, just because you've got call centers and whatever else doesn't mean that 
uh, one of your customers doesn't want to communicate to you via social media. So you have to be more omnipresent today. So for, for those that find it, find it challenging, my, my, um, my two suggestions would be uh, to, to, to jump in and just kind of play around with it and, and to do something that if you're going to share on LinkedIn or social, do something that's really true to yourself. Don't try and be someone else. I think a lot yes. of people say, well, I must express a thought about artificial intelligence or something around the future of work. It doesn't have to be. In fact, some of the things that I see that get most engagement on things like LinkedIn are the ones that are truly human and people just yep. share them. I screwed up, my first startup failed, or uh, I, I, tried to, I tried to approach a problem like this and it didn't work, and let me share with you what I learned. Yes. I think that is, I, I sometimes think it's a little bit, there's a bit too much, it's almost like reality TV, where people are doing <laughs> a bit too much now, and it's like, oh, and people have found the way to, to, to win the LinkedIn algorithm, which is to go, oh, I nearly got fired, and then they carry on with it. <laughs> they start with this like tabloid headline. Yes. <laughs> Uh, which then pulls people in. But I think what, what, what I'm trying to say is talk about something that's important to you. Talk about if, if mental health is important to you or uh, you've had your own challenges if you're brave enough to talk about that or you, you didn't have the best break in your career at one point and you found a way around it. People do want, to, people want stories. Like yes. They want to understand uh, how, how other people have achieved what they think. And I think if you take yourself down from the pedestal of being a leader and just kind of share with other people kind of things that you've gone through in the hope it will help other people. I think that works. So it doesn't have to be a 1,500-word blog uh, or kind of thought leadership piece. It can just be a few sentences and just – and I would also just put it out there and go, I'm a bit, I'm a bit uh, anxious about whether this is the right thing to do. What yes. Do you think? Ask people. And like any conversation, people tend to, tend to jump in and go, uh, I love what you're doing, but – this topic is a little bit close to the bone or whatever it might be. And then the other one I would say is every organization, every leader has got lots of kind of younger talent who are very deeply connected with social media. Um, chat to some of them and kind of almost think about it as reverse mentoring and go, if I were to, if I were to start to step into this space and I'm doing it quite late, how do you think I should turn up? What type of things would it be interesting for me to share in social media? What platforms that I use? I think that's equally a good place to start and then to, to, to actually share with, I chatted to some of my, my, my own staff to get a view of where I should start and this is, this is, this is what I'm doing. And yeah, exactly. It's a good starting point. Quite, quite a sensible kind of human but not particularly taxing place to start. No, I, I agree. And, and, and that is, I mean, there are, there are programs around that, aren't they, within organisations that these reverse mentoring, I, I know a couple of the organisations, that's exactly what they do. They come together and, and, and they've learned so much by doing that about the very people that they're getting in, in, insights from. So, um, but it, it works both ways. So with regards to um, your experience, what would you say then has been your biggest learning so far? From social media or just from, so, from well from, from social media, um, from your social media activity, from you know, is there anything you wish you'd known at the outset that would have made life easier to get started? Or it, it feels to me like you've gone from it's evolved, hasn't it? Your, yeah, no, it has. You're right. I would so I would say, I would say probably my 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 most important learning is 
how to deal with those 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 people that that just want to have a bit of a scrap um, on yeah. social media that for whatever reason when you're hiding behind a profile or even without a picture or uh, you, you're not there in the room looking into someone's eyes. Some people are always going to have a disagreement with you, particularly if you share views about things that are quite um, that are going to pull people from polarized people is the word. Yes. Uh, so I think the way to begin with. I, 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 if someone challenged me, I would jump in, and and then I realised after after a while, it was just a tarade of he said, she said, she said, he said, yeah. and it wasn't very purposeful. So the way I deal with that now is if I don't agree with someone, I I just acknowledge uh, someone and I say uh, I appreciate your opinion. Not these exact words, but the sentiment. I appreciate uh, your opinion. Uh, I do have a slightly different one, and this is uh, this is this is uh, this is why I think a platform this is so great is because. People can have different perspectives, and that and that tends to not always, but it tends to diffuse the situation. A yes. Little bit. Uh, whereas, I mean, in the early days, I've always been quite a quite a strong um, kind of vocal feminist, and uh, like four or five years ago, uh, when I used to express a lot of things around gender equality before, thankfully, some of the improvements in the last couple of years, I would get a lot of middle-aged white men just jump just jumping particularly on LinkedIn actually mm. jumping in and going what on earth are you talking about this isn't equal because actually men like me are just out of job because all the CVs being considered just for women and everything and I found those situations quite uh, quite challenging I wrote a piece on 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 diversity not I saw just, that yeah very good and, and, and I had quite a lot a lot of people both publicly and privately uh, challenge why I was writing it and challenging some of the opinions in it and I think that's you have to be comfortable in your own skin to be able to deal with that mm. um, and, and I think I mean we all know that social media can have some detrimental impacts mm. uh, but then like most things in life there are where, where, where the world evolves there will always be good that's done through social media so great movements that are created exactly. like YouTube, or opportunities, platforms created for new uh, for new entrepreneurs, but then there will equally also be kind of uh, people that just want to use it for for, for for their own gain or to spread uh, spread messaging that we might not be comfortable with. And we all know what happened with Cambridge Analytica, and mm-hmm. we've seen the recent kind of challenges around Jeremy Kyle's show and Love Island contestants and stuff like that. So it, it, it is a place where you have to be you have to be conscious. Yes. Uh, that if you're stepping into something that's, that someone might kind of throw a punch at you uh, and what they say might might hurt because, let's face it, we're all human. Um, and, and, and therefore you have to kind of almost distance yourself sometimes from, from, from those instances. So, so for me, uh, in summary, it's a long-winded answer, but it's, it's how to deal with the, 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 the trolls or, and I don't have trolls, but how to deal with the negative energy that you'll often get out of social. Yeah. And, and like you say, there's, there's always going to be that balance, isn't there? There's always a bit of light. There's always a bit of shade, you, you know, and it's, it's about, but thinking about how you do that digitally with grace, you know, when you're not. Grace is a good word. Yeah. We, you know, it's, it's that, it, it, it is, because we've all seen the, the spats, you know, yeah. I used to, I used to pull them out and say, look, this is not what to do, you know, um, or just try and move it off the platform. Um, but wonderful. So, I like to end, Paul, with a few kind of quick-fire questions. Yeah. They aren't around social or digital. It's just a little bit learn about the leader. Um, 
they're pretty big questions, but it's very much focused on top of head thinking. So um, I'm going to ask you these questions. You okay with that? Sure. Fine. So we'll start. If you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? So it, it probably won't surprise you to, given what yeah. I just said, it, it would be creating a more, a more gender equal world. I have three daughters uh, and I just think there is so much more to do. In 100 years, we probably mm-hmm. come 5% of the way. Um, and there's this, I, I find this whole kind of backlash of middle-aged men saying we've oh. got the future really kind of really bizarre. Um, yet while, whilst I, I can subscribe to the fact that equal means equal and therefore you shouldn't kind of positively discriminate against uh, come on I mean there is so much there's there's so much that still needs to be done and so so much uh, bad behavior uh, that needs to be changed so it, it, it would be to find a magic a magic way of pressing a button and actually getting a level playing field for everybody actually not just not just women but just yes. for everybody so that it wasn't it didn't need to be talked about at every single moment in every conference. It's still a, the biggest problem in business. So um, I'm right behind you on that one. And which book have you read recently that's inspired you? So I read a book. Uh, it's not. It's not actually a leadership book. It's business, uh, more around scaling up a business mm-hmm. uh, called Upscale, uh, which is uh, a bunch of. European, predominantly British entrepreneurs who tell their story about how they have led an organization uh, from early stage to success. Uh, so it comes out of Tech Nation. Um, I think it's James Silver is the, 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 the overall kind of author, but, it, but it, essentially it's chapters from different entrepreneurs. And I, I think it's phenomenal, actually, for two reasons. One, it's real world. And they talk about a lot of the stuff we've talked about here today, actually. Yeah. Uh, but it's real world and it's when things went wrong, this is what we did. It's, it's kind of tangible things you can do to, to grow a business. And secondly, it's not, and this isn't meant in a derogatory world, but it's not that classic American, how you built a business and failed fast. I mean, it, it's actually grounded in kind of British European kind of culture and some of the challenges we have here, because we all know that people don't yeah. accept failure in quite the same way as they do in the West. Yeah. Yeah. But I would strongly recommend that. It's called um, Upscale. Uh, and it's the Tech Nation book. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's James Silver who's the editor. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that that link is in the show notes, but um, that's one on my list. I gave up TV five years ago, Paul, to read books, so I, I just keep <laughs> absorbing them and absorbing them. Yeah, yeah. I don't read enough, in most. I've got a five-month-old. Um, oh. and, 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 a seven, and I've got a 17-year-old turning 17 this year and a, and a five-month-old, so uh, I, I, I don't find quite enough time to read. I, I, that's why I tend to find my... Uh, my knowledge through Twitter where I've got that, those like yes. 10 minutes to go and dive in and yeah. learn. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that's quite a space, isn't it? That's, yes. Because I've got the 17 year old, I certainly wouldn't want the five month old right now. She's, deli- she's delightful. I'm but, sure yeah, she is. It's, uh, it's exhausting. Yeah, that's, that's quite a switch. So, and last but certainly not least, what's the best piece of advice you've been given to date? So this is out of social media, just the best piece of advice. Yeah, so it, it's a recent one. Um, I actually belong to uh, a male support group, um, which is an interesting concept set up by a guy who does a lot of work uh, in leadership. And it's it's designed for a bunch of men who have got to a certain stage in their careers, got families, and then have lots of challenges, whether it's relationships, professional. And I found it hugely useful. It's not something that I think happens enough. Men don't have places to talk. Um, and he, he, he shared a quote, which I'll send to you if you want to put it in the notes. Yes, please. I probably won't read the whole thing. Out, but it's a Dalai Lama quote, basically, which says that man pretty much sacrifices his health to make money. Then he uses money he makes to actually 
get back his health. Yes. Uh, then he's so anxious about what's going to happen in the future. He doesn't enjoy the present. And then he dies worrying about everything and doesn't really live a full life. So yeah. it's, uh, I guess it's just a profound kind of comment on live, live life to the full and don't, don't take anything too seriously. Um, and it's, I think when you, when you get to a certain stage in business and leadership, you, you can be so full on and so kind of uh, immersed in your business that maybe you don't pay enough attention to some of the other things around in terms of your own development, in terms of kind of looking after yourself, mental health, family, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. so for me, it's, that's a great life, life lesson that is, just just make sure that you recognize how wonderful things are around you and look exactly. up every something exactly and connect with yourself you know that's uh, that's we're often so concerned aren't we about connecting and doing and doing and doing true. it's we, we forget true. we forget yeah, and that is one and that is another one a little watch out for social media is when you're i'm sure you feel when when, when you're so addicted to twitter it pulls you in quite a lot and sometimes yeah. i deliberately give myself a little bit of a digital detox because Yep. those constant notifications and when, when you are deeply engaged you sometimes feel like oh, I have to respond I have to respond yes. and, that, and that then starts to pull on your your own mental health so again all things in all things in the right measure it is absolutely brilliant so Paul it's been an absolute delight there's been so many insights and thank you so much for sharing your very real world experience you've, you've been in this space for a long time you've been very active in this space so I'm sure there's so much there for people to listen into and uh, and learn from so from me sincerely thank you absolute pleasure well thank you for having me you've been listening to the get social connected leader podcast thank you to my guest and indeed thank you to you for tuning in please do feel free to share the podcast with colleagues and friends who you think will enjoy it and indeed subscribe to tune in for more episodes You'll find the podcast on all the usual platforms and all episodes are also on our website, carvelcreative.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You'll also find some really useful digital and social resources on that site too. So be sure to check those out. So for now from me, Michelle Carvel, your host on the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in and goodbye. Oh, P.S. If you're a business leader with something to share around digital and social technologies and you're keen to be a guest on the podcast, then I'd love to hear from you. You can email me, michelle at carvelcreative.co.uk.